Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with you. Gary Grossman with us. His first novel, Executive Actions, propelled him into the world of geopolitical thrillers. Executive Treason, Executive Command, Executive Force, Old Earth further tapped his experience as a journalist, newspaper columnist, media historian, and Emmy Award-winning television producer as well with many shows. And then he wrote uh, a couple books, Red Hotel and Red Deception with Ed Fuller. Gary, welcome back. Looking forward to this. Thanks so much, George. Great to be back. And I tell you, I felt once again like the old DJ uh, that I started as with the Vogues uh, playing. (laughs) Uh, You're the one. I spun that record back in Hudson, New York as a DJ. I love it. That's a great song, isn't it? It sure is. Brings back memories, Uh, doesn't it? Absolutely. Do they make music like that anymore? Not like that. No, nope, they do nope, not. Nope. They do not. But great to be here. Thank Anyways, you. great book. And as I was telling Ed, it is scary as all get up. Well, you know, when you start thinking the unthinkable, you really can come up with what might be unknowable to us, but it's sure knowable and doable to other people. And sometimes those other people have real motives in the case of Red Hotel and now Red Deception, as Ed was talking about with you, uh, it's a pretty undisguised Vladimir Putin. Our character's name is uh, Nikolai uh, Gorshkov, but he is every bit drawn from the the hard lines of a KGB officer in the Cold War, uh, right through now the premier and the president of, of Russia, uh, with the hope that he can rebuild that empire that Ed and you talked about. It is a scary world. Um, we just don't know, and we have to think about all the possibilities that there are, or hope that at least if we're not thinking about them, there are people who can do something about it who are thinking about them. Did I see a real story on the Internet, or was it fake, where China is beefing up its nuclear arsenal because of the potential threats from us? China's beefing up everything. Um, it, and, and again, what we don't know, you can just imagine that what you heard or what you saw is really uh, the tip of the iceberg. Uh, they are building islands, as we know, in the South China Sea. They have a, a navy that is much bigger than ours, not as heavy as ours in, in terms of you know, our, our number. They have more ships, but we've got more firepower. But they're building more. Um, they are in a land grab. A hundred years ago, they said what they want to do is control the world. They're getting there. They're, they own part of the Panama Canal now. Um, which right we gave up. Which, which we gave up. We, gave, we absolutely gave it up. We absolutely did. And that's going to be in our, in our next book, in fact, uh, Red Chaos. We'll talk in another year. But uh, even what Russia's doing in, and I talk about, um, we're really facing, we're not in the Cold War anymore, but we have an ice-cold war and that ice-cold war is taking place in, uh, in the Arctic, a warming Arctic for sure. But Russia is there with uh, nuclear-powered icebreakers. China's building more icebreakers as well. What do, what do we have? We have two icebreakers, one that's broken down and one's in the Antarctic. Russia has nine nuclear-powered icebreakers, 31 others. Well, who's going to control that northern sea route? That's good. They are. That's right. Absolutely. They are. Do you think Russia and China truly can develop a workable alliance? Oh, I think that's the major question of our time. 
their allies, no, I'll put it this way. They're not really allies. I think they're partners. They're able to partner on things like gas and oil. Um, Russia needs money. China needs oil. Well, there's a great partnership. Would one attack the other? Um, I don't think they would attack each other. Uh, You know, that's a good question for Ed as well. I don't think they would do that because their mutual interests are really interwoven. If China were to attack, then and their oil line dries up, uh, where are they going to get the oil from? Why can't why can't we have leaders, and I mean across the board, who get together with a glass of a beer or a wine <laughs> and say, why don't we build a planet that is unbelievable? That oh, helps people. You, Why can't we do that? Well, you and I uh, grew up in a time when Gene Roddenberry was first doing Star Trek. That's right. And we had a view of the world that we had hoped, the world, let alone the universe, that was going to look like what Gene Roddenberry predicted. We would have the governments of Earth working together. We would explore arm in arm out into the universe. Yes, there would be enemies there, but we would sit down and we would talk with them. Well, even the Star Trek of today that's on television is not the Star Trek, I think, that Gene Roddenberry envisioned. It's really a darker, uglier time. And, you know, certainly as writers of thrillers, we recognize that. I, I tell you, as a TV producer, there's something I got completely wrong. After 9-11, I thought, wrongly, that the public, that we, viewers, readers, everybody, would want to have lighter fare, like people did during the Depression. You know, you don't want to go and see other people's problems. You want to be entertained when you go to the movies. I got that totally wrong, because that was really the launch of and the rise of um, reality programming. Mm -hmm. And where did reality program come from? Some of the reality arguments during the day on Jerry Springer. And where did that lead to? What we have in Congress now. So will leaders sit down? Um, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not optimistic about that, and especially when there's a leader like Putin um, that we talk about and kind of even psychoanalyze and, and try to get to an understanding of why does he do the things he do. And if you're opposed to him, look out. Oh, absolutely. Talk to Alexei uh, Navalny. That's right. Uh, and other people he's poisoned in, uh, in England and, and how he must have had collusion with the uh, uh, capturing and the, the, hit, the uh, uh, kidnapping of the airplane that went to Belarus. Um, absolutely. He is very predictable in a, in a uh, psychological way. So how well will Biden do sitting down with him? Honestly, I think it's about, well, I, I think it's about showing our hand, at the front of it and the back of it. How would Kennedy have handled this? Another good question, good historical question. Um, I, it's probably something we'll never really know. I think that he probably... Um, at, at that time in his life, had the vigor uh, and and the ideas and the sensibility to find solutions. But it still took, what, from Kennedy's time until the fall of the Berlin Wall. That was another 26 years. Um, so I don't know. Those are, those are the questions that, as writers, we have to ask ourselves. Um, and, and it's what makes good fiction. 
But when we are able to jump from reality to fiction and then back again and making people think, which is what we're really trying to do in Red Deception, it can be a wake-up call. And yeah, I wonder, I wonder what, what he would have done. I, how they handled one of my favorite books is uh, Robert Kennedy's 13 Days about the uh, uh, Cuban Missile Crisis yeah. and how, how he and they dealt with that. That's really worth reading. That's probably, uh, George, uh, insight into your question. And didn't Khrushchev admit to Kennedy, this is beyond me, that the, my generals are going to be in control of this if we don't get this settled? Yes, he did. And uh, I'm sure you remember, maybe other people as well, the route to solving the problem was through an ABC newsman, John Scalley. Mm-hmm. John Scalley was the intermediary who brought the message back between uh, Russia and the United States that here was a solution, here was a way for Khrushchev to back down without losing face. And they used a reporter to do that. I mean, I remember us doing these bomb fallout shelter drills in school. And I'm sitting, you know, outside of a locker on my butt with my hands and over my knees and my head thinking, how is this going to stop me from a nuke? <laughs> and guess what? It wouldn't. You know, what they said was, well, you'll be protected from breaking glass. I'm sorry. The glass is going to melt. Yeah, with me. Uh, exactly. It's, the temperature is roughly one, let's see, 100 million degrees Celsius on an atomic bomb close by. Well, if that doesn't get you, certainly the radiation will. And everything that we learned in the, in, in, in the 1960s and the 50s and 60s about that, it was all wrong. In the 40s, people were taught to watch the skies. They watched the skies for German planes and Japanese planes and, and, and watch and look out for uh, German submarines. In fact, I, uh, a Japanese uh, sub fired against Goleta, California. Uh, and some shells landed. Uh, Japanese balloons landed in that were sent aloft. It took quite a long time for them to get to Washington State and to Oregon, but they had incendiary devices in them. They landed, and some of them blew up and started fires. Then from that, watching the skies, it was duck and cover and hide. Well, we're a lot smarter now. We're at least a lot smarter about what would happen. What would happen if there's nuclear war? Is is uh, Putin capable of launching one? Yes. Do we think, as writers, he's going to do it? No. But will he, one by one, look at the Baltic states very carefully? Will he move further on Ukraine? And one by one, will China, as you talked before, move into Taiwan? Will it create more islands and, and challenge Japan? It's a matter of doing all this one by one. And that's where it comes down to what kind of muscle are we going to show and what is the risk of even doing anything? Do we have the appetite for it in this country? Would you be more concerned about Russia or China if you had to pick one? Ah, uh, you're taking us from a Red Deception into our next book, Red Chaos. And those key words, deception and chaos, have a lot to do with it. Uh, we see uh, Putin as more deceptive. We see uh, China as able as being able to create more chaos. In the long run, China. In the long run, absolutely China. Um, Putin and Russia don't have a rich company, a country. China does. Yes. Putin wants to be dictator for life. 
he's got to work at it a lot. China, he's dictator for life. Is Putin respected in Russia or feared? Uh, I think he's uh, publicly respected because that's a lot safer way to live. Uh, I think he's despised quietly in the way that uh, most dictators are. Um, and there's not a lot people can do. No, there really isn't. Do you think uh, the military would ever coup and take well, over? Well, you're getting uh, back to uh, one of my important books as a, as a kid, Seven Days in May. Yeah. And, Burt uh, Lancaster. Absolutely. The movie was fabulous. Uh, Burt Lancaster behind a coup to uh, act against the president of the United States, who he feels is weak. Um, it, I, every couple of years I have to watch that film because it still feels so present to me. Um, could there be a coup like that in Russia? Um, there could be. I don't know who is ready to move up and control the country after. You know, the bottom line, a lot of people just like to be controlled and not have to make decisions. And when you have Russia, which has virtually no history of democracy, it was one of the problems when with uh, the Iraq war. Uh, we moved in and said, whoa, here you go, here's democracy. And they, they said, well, we've been here 7,000 years, what's democracy? Um, if a population is not ready for that, uh, something may come in and fill the void, but then another power-hungry despot is likely to step right in. I had asked Ed the question, uh, are we prepared to do anything as a nation against Russia if they take action against Ukraine and China if they take action against Taiwan, both of which I think is a very real possibility? Well, we didn't the last time when Putin took a step in, a very large step in, uh, in, in Crimea. Um, I think, Ed thinks, the next play is going to be one of, or more of the Baltic nations, uh, Latvia, Lithuania, and Estonia. A lot of those countries have a Russian population that, in fact, don't have the right to vote, particularly in Latvia. And the same way, I don't know if you've seen the uh, TV series uh, yet, it's from Norway, it's called Occupied. It's a wonderful, wonderful, dramatic TV series. Uh, the, the Norwegians come up with an alternate uh, fuel source, and Russia says, that's not going to be good for us. And they move in with forces. Well, Putin could do the exact same thing with Latvia easily. He's, uh, he, he has boasted that he could take Kiev within two weeks. I think he's overstating that. He could take it in probably two or three days. How quickly could we react to that? We couldn't. We couldn't, exactly. We and, couldn't. and I'm not sure, Gary, the American people have the stomach for another kind of conflict. Especially, George, and one where they can't even identify where the place is on a map. Yeah, exactly. That is so and that really is the bottom line. And, you know, and that's, that's, again, the fun of us in, in writing Red Deception is we recognize, you know, we're creating these scenarios, but how much do people really know about it and what would we be willing to do? You know, you talked a little bit before about uh, cyber attacks. We've got a tremendous ability to counterattack, but are we going to flex a muscle uh, are we willing to do that? And maybe we already have. Maybe we have. We don't know. But right now, we look like a paper tiger. 
Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.